You're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. I'm your host, Bearded McQueen. In this week's sermon, lead pastor Matty Dean continues in our sermon series on 1 Thessalonians, our present calling and our future hope, all found in Jesus Christ. So as we begin tonight, we are in week two of a series walking through 1 Thessalonians. And if you missed last week, uh, it was really the power of the gospel and what happens when God saves people and brings a group of people that did not have connection before around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the reality is that, that would be very, very messy to have both Jews and non-Jews who did not have relationship together before to come around and be changed by the gospel and then to somehow integrate their lives into this community, this ecclesia, this gathering called church. And you can imagine the heartache and the disappointment and the hurt feelings and the way you did what? I thought you loved Jesus. Those kind of moments when people that did not know Jesus all of a sudden now are trying to trust and obey and follow Jesus. And the earliest of churches were messy. And in addition to the mess of those churches, the environment, the local surrounding cities, they were hostile to the gospel. So not only was it that people that did not have a Christian culture, did not have a Christian worldview, were coming around to faith in Jesus, but they were also coming to faith in Jesus in an environment for many of them that was hostile to follow Jesus. And there were people, a lot of Jews specifically, that were not pleased with the growth and spread of the kingdom of Jesus. The very same people that crucified him were the very ones that were very unhappy with people following Jesus. And from city to city, there were riots and charges brought before people. And this city is no different than that. And so as we begin tonight, we're going to start in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles. And I'm going to give you some historical context with this in just a minute. But before we do that, let me just, if you'll give me the the moment, let me just read the first 10 verses so that we know where we're picking up. So I'm going to start in one, but we're going to focus in on two. It says, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he rescued from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then Paul says in chapter 2, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. And that's an intriguing passage if you don't know what's going on. And, and here is Paul saying, hey, our visit, even though it may sound like it was a failure, it was, in fact, not a failure. So I want you to just put your finger in 1 Thessalonians, but, but flip back to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, just to, just to, I don't know, 20, 30 pages backwards, okay? 
And we're going to read what happened and why it was not a failure in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 says this. When they had passed through these different cities, they were moving west towards Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Verse 2. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer, that says the Christ, the, the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Quote, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few, I love that, not a few prominent women. So there's following that's happening here. But the Jews were jealous and so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason go, and the others post bond, and they let them go. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers, these new brothers, these brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. In other words, they, they sent them west to a city that was safer. Listen to the next verses. It's so fascinating. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Where did they start? The synagogue. Where did they end up? The synagogue. Because even though they faced trouble, what was about to happen? In the next few days, Paul would continue once again, in spite of suffering, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was what he did from city to city, despite suffering and suffering. When he had to flee under the cover of night, they went to the next city. And where did they go? to the very next place to proclaim the gospel, fearless and faithful despite of suffering. And listen to this, verse 11. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And listen, upon the proclamation of the gospel, look what happens in verse 12. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Listen to the next verse. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Do you see the pattern of ministry there? Everywhere he went, there was discord. And yet, what did he do? He remained faithful at the proclamation of the gospel. Here tonight, before we get started, the power is in the gospel and what God can do. And it doesn't matter the environment or the comfort level or the safety level or the convenience level or even the receptivity of the people that is proclaimed to. The power is the gospel because it's what God can do and what God has done to bring men and women and boys and girls into life with Jesus Christ forever. The power is in the gospel. So if you're just joining us tonight, we spent several weeks talking about how you, the church, you are sent 
to your neighbors with the power of the gospel to simply say, be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became your sin and mine so that we could become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And if you go to the nations like London or if you live in a city like Brooklyn, it is the same message. Be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became our sin, my sin and yours, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ. And we have overcomplicated evangelism. The message is the same. Be reconciled to God. And Jesus is how. That's what Paul said to this church in Thessalonica. And that's what Paul had to wrestle through because even though he had to flee under the cover of night, listen, flip back to 1 Thessalonians, listen to what happened in this beautiful new church. He says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The painful thing, what you don't see in this, but what the commentary will show you is that the Thessalonian leaders that were upset launched a full-on campaign to drag Paul's good name through the mud. And there was deep hurt in Paul's life at the things that were being said about him in this moment. And that's why he goes back to say, we weren't trying to trick you. We didn't have impure motives. We weren't trying to do anything but proclaim the gospel to you because there were people saying about them, they are trying to trick you. What they're saying is not true. Their motives are impure, and that is not the case. And Paul begins to defend his behavior before them. He says, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. Verse 5, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from them, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. And Paul begins to put it in this metaphor of family. In a minute, he's going to talk about like a mother and then like a father. He says, we loved you like a mother caring for her little children. Verse 8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. And listen to this next part. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is. You accepted it as the word of God, which is at work in you. Who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. These are new believers suffering already for their faith, not only suffering externally, but really trying to reorient how do I follow Jesus in a hostile environment? It says, 
Those same Jews killed the Lord Jesus, and the prophets also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the nations so that they may be saved. In this same way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person but not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you, this early church, this messy church, being faithful in a hostile environment, Paul's saying you are our crown, and our glory, and joy. Chapter 3, so when we could stand it no longer, when we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ. We sent him to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. And he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, listen, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you? How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? They're literally rejoicing to God about the faith of this faithful church in a hostile environment. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Here's what we are praying. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. I, I want tonight to just draw out some observations from this passage of Scripture, and I appreciate you listening because it, it doesn't help to just go piecemeal and, and pick and, and choose verses. I wanted you to hear the whole of this. And if last week this is the power of what the gospel can do, this is a glimpse of what Christian ministry and faithfulness in Christian community looks like. And this is what it looks like as the life of a pastor in a church that you watch and love. And, and, to, and to be honest with you, um, earlier today we were in the new space on Glen Avenue and, and these guys prayed for you. And they prayed for me as I was walking them around the space. And, and it just, it absolutely dawned on me um, how much I love you. <laughs> how, how grateful I am for all of our backs and forths around the world that God would plant us here again. And so I, I want to go back to this first thing. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. And this is what I want you to hear tonight. 
Hardship in your life does not mean failure. Suffering in your life or in my life does not mean failure. It does not mean failure. And plan A's that turn to plan B, C, D, E, and F, and Z, those are not failures. At the end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he says, Therefore, my brothers, I urge you, let nothing move you. For you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And wherever it is that you're stepping out in faith in your life, it's never in vain. And your hardship, your disappointment, whatever is difficult in your life does not equate failure necessarily when it is yielded in surrender and faithful obedience to Jesus. Sometimes failure means failure. But hardship, but hardship in the face of faithfulness is not failure. And when our family left Auburn in 2009, we thought we would live in Asia forever. And we got there and we thought this is just going to be it. We had, just like these guys, all the momentum to, to launch out and plant out and, and be faithful in this other global city called Hong Kong that we loved. We loved it. We loved it. And we got there in the next 18 months of my life were the most difficult leadership moments of my life. And I came back to the States a shattered man. I did not have a clue what to do. And I want you to know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. And it was the brokenness that I experienced in that very difficult season of getting humbled that's prepared me to care for you today. It's the reality of hardship and things not going to plan that gives me compassion for you and me today. And just like he said it, I'm seeing this play out in my life. Hardship is not failure. I want you to hear that tonight. Your hardship in the face of faithful obedience to Jesus does not mean failure. It just means he's not done working it for good yet. So remain faithful to Jesus. The second thing I want you to hear tonight is that it's the gospel and it's your life. It's the gospel, yes, that's the power of God to save, but it's in the context of deep relationship. It's the gospel. We want to share and proclaim the gospel, but we also want to give our very lives as well. And church is not something you attend. Church is who we are. We gather as the church. We do not go to church. You are the church. We are the gathered church of God in this room and this little corner of earth, but the church is the gathered people of God. And it's not just that we proclaim the wonderful news of Jesus, but we give our lives to one another together. That's why he says we loved you so much that not we we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. The next thing I want you to see is in verse 12, that the glimpse of a pastor's heart is to encourage and to comfort and urge, right? The glimpse of a pastor's heart, of a father's heart for his people is to encourage and comfort and urge. And, and I know that these guys, as they were trying to pastor and shepherd this church in the midst of great suffering and um, faithfulness to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus in the here and now, I know that these guys had to comfort them. They had to encourage them, but they also had to urge 
them. And to be honest with you, sometimes people don't like to be urged (laughs) at all. And sometimes people don't want to be comforted. They'd rather be isolated in their own sin and shame. And some of the deep wounds of being a pastor is when you lovingly try to confront someone, to urge someone, to strengthen someone, and that effort is met with rejection or criticism. And I just want to encourage you to model this very same thing that I am reading in God's Word. I want to model it to you, and I want you to model it to me. And especially model it like Paul says the mothers do. I was gentle among you. Thank God for mothers. Thank God for the gentleness and the wisdom and the compassion and the soft touch that is needed in the church. It is a joint effort, a team effort. And what we see in this glimpse of Christian ministry is there's something beautiful about gentle leadership, about encouraging leadership, about strengthening leadership, and about leadership that urges people to follow Jesus. So I'm urging you, be faithful to him who set you free. Be faithful to Jesus who gave his very life for you. The next thing I want you to see is the wonderful word of God, that the power of God through his word. And, and listen, verse 13, it says, And we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but actually as it is the word of God, which is at work in you. Here's the beautiful thing. In this very moment, right now, in your heart and in mine, the word of God is working. I can see it in your eyes. I can hear it in your nods and in your yeses. The word of God, the living word of God is at work in you right now, right now. He's at work in you. He's reshaping and reframing and refocusing what your life really is to be about. Because the truth is we don't always see or perceive or think or feel accurately in light of who God is and who we are. So receive God's word as it actually is. This is for you. This is for you. He's given it for you. The next thing I want you to see is that people somehow in the economy of God, somehow in the economy of church, that people can become our glory and joy. And I don't mean idols. I don't mean idolatry. What I'm saying is somehow in Paul's heart as he was caring for these people, they became so dear to him. And you heard that over and over and over again. We, we talk a lot in this church about authentic gospel and community, and that just worked out as this, that, that you are the glory and joy of God at work in your lives of this church. The gospel at work in your life is the best thing about this church. The gospel at work in and through your lives is the greatest thing about this church. And in a hundred years, this church called Grace Auburn may not exist, but the impact of what you have done to faithfully follow Jesus as the gathered church of God just, that just happens to be called Grace Auburn for this time and season of life, the impact and the ripple effect will be eternal. Your life matters in the kingdom of God. Young and old alike, your life matters in the kingdom of God. And last night, this was not a church event, um, but we, several of us hosted some international students from Auburn. And it was, for me, so much fun to watch people from this church extend a cup of water and a warm meal to people who have literally never heard the gospel. And it was sweet chaos 
all over again. In our house, which is average size, there's like 50-something people trying to eat together. And we ended up in the driveway. And, and there were people from multiple ethnicities, multiple religious backgrounds, all crammed in this house that we were hoping would not be rained out because there was rain here all day yesterday. And I'm telling you, this was not a church event, okay? But there were people from this church there. And as a pastor to those people from this church there, watching the dialogue, watching the humility, watching the teamwork, watching the genuine engagement in their eyes as they're listening to Muslims talk about why Ramadan has been so meaningful, listening to the children play together, just watching it unfold. I'm telling you, you are my glory and joy. It's just a powerful thing to go, this church it, it, it's just, what a gift. What an absolute gift. The next thing I want you to see is this, that people that follow Jesus need to be strengthened and encouraged. So let me just read that verse to you again. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ. We sent him to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Now this is a twofold idea that I want you to think through tonight. If your faith needs to be strengthened and encourage, okay, then you need to let someone know. Because the only way that Timothy knew to say to Paul, hey, they need to be strengthened and encouraged is because they had the humility to say, I need help. My faith needs to be strengthened. My faith needs to be encouraged. And Paul, being the leader that he was, sent Timothy to do what? To strengthen and encourage his people. Now, the flip of it is this. Some people need to be strengthened and encouraged, and some of you in this room need to go and strengthen and encourage the faith of people in this room. And I don't have to figure that out for you. You are smart people. If you see someone in this community or the community whose faith needs to be strengthened and encouraged, be the voice they need to hear and do it in humility and love. The seventh thing I want you to hear, we're almost done, is this, that faithfulness to Jesus encourages the Big C Church. Faithfulness to Jesus encourages the Big C Church, the church as it watches on. It says this, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. We were encouraged from the outside looking in because of your faith. And why I say that is this, American Christianity is highly individualistic. It just is. But half the world lives communally. Half the world lives in deep relationship with one another. And instead of front porches and back porches, there are courtyards that face one another. And our culture is inherently independent-minded. But what happens when our collective faith comes together is it, in fact, encourages the church. It encourages the church abroad, our faithfulness to Jesus. And in a day and age where our nation at very best is divided in a thousand different ways your faithfulness to Jesus as the gathered people of God will encourage the global church as they look in and go is anyone going to remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ the last thing I will say is this love is our present calling love is our present calling and I concluded last week's sermon with that thought and I'm going to conclude this week's sermon with the same thought Love is our present calling. In other words, you need to love the people in your home really well. And you need to love the people at your work really well. 
And you need to love the people in your family really well. And you need to love the friends that are around you really well. And you need to love the people that don't love you really well. And you're going to have to figure out a way to love the people that criticize you, that are unfair to you, that insult you. And that's really hard to do. But our future hope is crystal clear. There's going to come a day where faith is no more and we will behold Jesus with our eyes. But our present calling is love. And our present context is community. And that's why our present calling is love. Let me close with this verse. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Will you pray with me? We are so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. For more information or for ways that you can partner with the mission of Grace Auburn, go to our website, graceauburn.church.